Hi, I'm Rebecca Lauderdale, and I'm your host for the Women Physicians Flourish podcast. I'm an internist in the Deep South who knows firsthand about burnout and also about the sometimes difficult but often wonderful journey to flourishing. My mission is to make this statement true. Women physicians flourish. And this podcast brings you the science and evidence-based practices that have helped me most, as well as inspiring people and stories about this journey. Because doctors like you deserve not just to be free of burnout, but to flourish. Hi, I'm Rebecca Lauderdale, and I'm your host for the Women Physicians Flourish podcast. Today, I have a very special interview for you, which I'll tell you more about in just a moment. But I've missed talking to you kind of heart to heart like I did the first several episodes. And I've been thinking a lot since I recorded this episode with Dr. Stanita and the episode that we did last week with Dr. Una, which was so awesome. I've been thinking more about the process of getting what you need. First of all, it's important to know what you even need. And we've hinted at this and talked a little more in other episodes about how women in general and women physicians specifically, we know we do eight and a half hours more household duties than male physicians do each week. We also have more significant relationship difficulty related to our work than men physicians do. And there have been some studies on why, and I have personal experience of having relationship strain because I was overcommitted. I had more household and family duties, as well as work duties, than I could reasonably handle. And it was not a one-sided problem. I think sometimes men start to get a little afraid when women begin talking about these kinds of things because they're afraid that we're going to start blaming them. And I, I don't mean to let anybody off the hook I think that we all have our ways of contributing to this problem. Both men and women do. And sometimes men have unrealistic expectations of women. And sometimes we as women have unrealistic expectations of ourselves. And sometimes we don't even recognize what's happening. So I know in my particular situation... I and my husband both had ideas about what our roles were in our family and in our relationship. And we didn't really talk through those things in any sort of an objective way. If we ever if it was ever brought up, it was in a situation where there were already heightened emotions and maybe we didn't talk with each other in the most loving and empathic way that we could. So in my case, when I was severely burned out, I had two kids in elementary school and a toddler. So there was a lot of household work. There was a lot of things at school, making sure the kids did what they needed to do. And although there was an imbalance in how much time 
my husband and I were spending on child care and household duties and responsibilities, it wasn't that anyone was forcing me to do what I was doing. I had this inner sense that I should be doing. And there may have been times when I asked for help, but I also didn't tell him the whole story of what was going on with me. What we had to have were a series of conversations that were vulnerable and open and empathic and loving about how much I could handle and how much I couldn't. And only then could we get out in the open what our real priorities were together. So together we decided there were some things that I was doing that neither of us were going to do. (laughs) So they just didn't have to be done. And then there were other things that we could delegate to people outside our family. And many of us don't consider or we balk at the idea of asking for help. But I'm telling you, it is one of the most valuable things that you can do. Dr. Una and I talked about last week. It is rewarding and can be a really great relationship experience to have someone to help you care for your family. You bring another person on board. Your kids then know there's this other person who loves me, too. And so it's not that you're restricting your access to your kids. You're actually increasing the village of people that are taking care of them. So what we did first was we got rid of some of the extra obligations. And I have a funny story. My my middle daughter was in... She was probably in like maybe sixth grade and she had been in Girl Scouts for a couple years. And the Girl Scout troop was a troop of primarily girls at the school that they attend. And unfortunately, the moms who primarily did the Girl Scout activities that were the leaders didn't always recognize that the way they planned activities was difficult for those of us who had full-time jobs. And and so it was hard sometimes to participate the way I wanted to with them or to make sure that they got to activities because they would have things right after school down the street and then not offer to assist them in getting to the location and things like that. So I just at one point got so exasperated. So I attempted a bribe. (laughs) I'm not 100% proud of this. But then again, like I am. And I think it's totally okay because I knew she enjoyed this, but it wasn't like her favorite thing in the world. It wasn't like her passion. If it was, I would never have asked. But I said, Sylvia, Is there anything maybe we could do in the place of Girl Scouts? (laughs) And she had an immediate answer. She said, I want a sleepover and $200 in cash. (laughs) And I said, sold. (laughs) So we got out of Girl Scouts. (laughs) And that was one thing that was just constantly troubling me. And then another thing that I did was we hired a dear friend who was a graduate student at the time to pick the kids up from school three days a week. It was amazing. They developed a better relationship with her. My son especially just loved her so much. And it was an amazing experience. And it gave me 
just that little bit of time, that 30 minutes to an hour to finish up my clinic work and for my husband to finish up his work so that we didn't feel rushed at the end of our day. And then we were done. We were done with our work. We didn't have to go back to our work later in the evening. It was wonderful. So I wanted to share that with you because I know a, a lot of you probably already do things like that, and you have may, may have great suggestions for other things that we could do. And I could talk more uh, about asking uh, because it goes beyond just those household duties, and it goes beyond just household duties and childcare. There are many of us who don't feel satisfied in our relationships, and part of it is because we may not make ourselves known. We we don't allow our needs to be seen. And then the other person can't take care of us. And they learn that if I'm not sharing my needs, then maybe it's not okay for them to share theirs with me. Maybe they're not safe with that. And if you don't have a normal practice of asking for what you need or want, these don't have to be needs. These can be wants. These are ways of growing and accelerating your relationships and your effectiveness in the world. So this could be with people at work, your coworkers, your partners, your friends. So dream big and invite people into your dreams with you by asking them. Asking is wonderful. And I think many of us as women are taught not to ask. We're taught not to be needy, not to want things that we're really here to be in service of other people's wants and desires. So we lose touch with it. So I would encourage you this week to spend a little time thinking about what you want. What do you really want? And are there places in your life that are imbalanced, things that you could invite someone else to do for you, to help you with, that is in service of your dreams. And if you can help them to know how they're serving this dream that you have, it will give them even more passion and enjoyment to do the thing that you're asking for. And you may hear no. No is okay. No is okay. You can always reframe your ask. And you can ask for feedback. You can learn so much from a no a lot from a no. You can find out what it is they're actually saying no to. And you can get closer to somebody else through a no as well. So don't be afraid to hear no. Don't let that keep you from asking. So now I want to tell you more about our guest today. Dr. Andrea Stanita is a board-certified physical medicine and rehabilitation physician practicing at Cape Fear Orthopedics and Sports Medicine in North Carolina. She has a compelling story. After medical school and two years of orthopedics residency in Romania, she immigrated with her then-husband to the United States by winning a lottery sponsored by the Romanian government. Upon relocating to the United States, she went on to complete her internship and residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation at East Carolina University's Brody School of Medicine, followed by a fellowship in interventional spine and pain management at Ortho Carolina in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. She is the co-author of the anthology Warrior Women, and in her chapter, she details her story of burnout, depression, anxiety, and an abusive marriage that she courageously left while her children were young, 
She has a passion for sharing her story so that others can learn from her experiences. And I am grateful to her for spending time with me to tell her story. Enjoy. Hi, Dr. Stanita. I'm so glad to be able to talk to you today. I'm I'm excited to let our listeners hear more about your story. I've been inspired by you so far, and we haven't known each other very long. (laughs) But what I do know of you is I just feel like everybody needs to hear your story. I've introduced our listeners already to your clinical background and a little bit about you. I'd love to start with talking about the Warrior Women Project. How did you become involved and what have you done with the project? Sure. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. And it's it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. The Warrior Women Project started with our fearless leader, Dr. Lulu. She's a a pediatrician and uh, she's an immigrant just like myself. Mm-hmm. And early January, I received a text message saying, hey, I kind of had this idea to write your story about your immigration. And uh, would you be interested? And without hesitation, I said, yes, not knowing what this will become <laughs> a few months. It is just amazing. And it's an amazing experience. But I think it was the right time for me and, and all of us who are involved. So the Warrior Women Project is a uh, anthology of 22 immigrant women. Actually, we are you know, all over the world. We are, some of us, most of us are here in the United States, some in Canada. We have a lady in New Zealand with different backgrounds, different stories. But the commonality is really to stay strong and to keep believing in yourself and never give up. Mm-hmm. I, um, so that's how it started. And then, uh, of course, putting it together, it was many meetings and um, online and, and trying to, to figure out what would be the best way um, it was published. Our book was published in May, mid-May, and it sold out in, on Amazon like less than 24 hours. And became, oh, wow. It became a bestseller on uh, Barnes & Noble. So, yes. That's it, amazing. Uh, it is. It, it has been a very interesting and exciting journey all, all along. Oh, wow. So these are women from all different backgrounds, um, but all immigrant stories. Correct. Stories. Yes. Yes. Most oh, of us are physicians and then mm-hmm. uh, we have other professionals as well. It's just amazing to hear and to listen or to read their background and their stories. Mm-hmm. So would you mind telling us your immigrant story? Um, absolutely. Um, originally, I'm from Romania. I grew up um, growing up. It was communism. So we didn't have much, very scarce, just not even you know, from the basics, like food and all this stuff, but we, we, we got by it. I always tell my children, you are so blessed and it's always, <laughs> don't fight over food. There's plenty of food in America. Uh, you don't know how it is, but I think that kind of background helped me to appreciate everything and be thankful and just, just enjoy the, mm-hmm. the simple things in life. And uh, so growing up, communism, the Eastern Bloc ended in 1989. I was, I was young in school, going to training. Then I did medical school in Romania. And then I got married. I had uh, this um, opportunity where you apply to a U.S. government program. It's called the Diversity Visa Lottery. A little mm-hmm. background to that is that I always wanted something better, especially for my family, for my future children. I didn't have children at that time. And just to explore, I knew there was a whole <laughs> world out there. Mm-hmm. And um, sure enough, we were matched, um, me and my ex-husband, and uh, we came to the United States in 2006, starting all over again. I was eight months pregnant with my son, my first child, and um, coming with two luggages each. 
and the knowledge. I always tell again when oh, I tell wow. my immigrant story. So you had two suitcases, and that was all you could bring of yes. your belongings. <laughs> yes. And uh, I always tell everybody, and especially my children, you know, knowledge is very important. Nobody can take it away from you, and you can take it everywhere you go. Mm. You know, and trying to inspire them to always, always study and and just look for improvement, self improvement. So coming from as a foreign medical graduate, the steps we had to take the exams, board exams, and and then I was able to secure a residency position here in North Carolina, physical medicine and rehabilitation. I went through training, fellowship training, and I have been in practice since 2014. And you're still practicing physical medicine rehabilitation? Yes, correct. So what did you learn about yourself through going through all that? A lot. (laughs) I wish I had the support, the knowledge, the um, going through everything. I did mention in the book, it's not a secret, I, I... my relationship was a little, a little rocky, so to say, but that's how we, it was from the beginning. It's cultural. You don't really, as a woman, you don't really say much. You just go with it and feel ashamed and make sure nobody knows about it, mm. being in a, you know, abusive relationship. And I thought I can, I can get through. However, it wasn't easy. And I was at a very low point in my life when I had to make the decision to get out, you know, get my children out from that vicious cycle and, and truthfully offer them a, a loving home. Mm-hmm. However, going through the training, you know, we all know it's not easy. And but in the same time, you learn a lot and you prepare yourself to become the best professional you, you, you can become. I, um, I didn't realize the burden I was carrying with me from home and then trying to excel at work during training, having young children. I remember looking back in my second year of training, we were impatient and I was just exhausted and, and I would break down crying all the time. Like I didn't know what's going, what's wrong with me, not having mm-hmm. support. Um, and that's something I knew I will not have a family support because I don't have anybody here. So it's just myself and the, my two little children at that time. But I couldn't, I felt like I was almost like couldn't take a deep breath. I was so tired, so burned out, so anxious. And then trying to prove myself not just in training, because that's normal, right? We always want to be better. We want to, we need to mm-hmm. learn. We need to prepare ourselves for, for our exams and all that stuff. But even at home, trying to prove myself, hey, I'm, I'm, I got this. I'm good. I'm going to graduate. Everything is going to be great. And uh, that wasn't enough. It never wasn't enough. If I was at home, I'm not a good mom because I'm not spending enough time because I'm, my training is too demanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was at work, I had the guilt, oh, my goodness. I am not living up and all these thoughts in your head, which the guilt is tremendous, tremendous. Mm-hmm. And I think what would have helped if I would, and don't get me wrong, I have very close friends who I can reach out to, but not geographically where mm-hmm. I was training or where I'm living right now. Um, phone call away, of course, you know, with text, and, and but it's, it's different. Mm-hmm. And not having that support and not having the strength or even the knowledge or maybe I felt ashamed for reaching out for help, like mm-hmm. going to therapy or, or just to talk to somebody. Actually, I was offered because I did have a conversation with my program director in my second year. And he said, Andrea, you're going to burn out if, you know, you somehow you have to, because I, I confided in him because he asked me, why was I so, so stressed out? And I said, things are not the best at home, not many details, but he, and he said, you're going to burn out. And that was the first time when I heard about it and I pushed that word aside because mm. we didn't know much about these things back then. I thought that you have to excel. It doesn't matter. Uh, you just keep going. 
And definitely that's one thing I would recommend for anyone who's going through anything similar. Don't stay in it alone. I didn't share with my my close co-residents because I was ashamed. I felt mm-hmm. like I wasn't good enough. I wasn't worthy, you know, to to do that or how I, it, it's almost like a sign of weakness if you are asking for help. Mm-hmm. And so that was during training. And I remember by the end of uh, residency, I was like, my goodness, burned out and, and just tired and just suffering from inside. Then fellowship training. Okay, thankfully, that's a little short. Then you become um, a physician. And I was hoping that, oh, my goodness, now things are going to get better. I'm a real doctor now. He's going to appreciate me. He's going to see my worth. Did not happen. If anything, you know, and then being a first year <laughs> in practice and doing these all kind of intervention procedures and all this stuff without anybody looking over your shoulder and making sure that you are doing the right thing. Uh-huh. It was draining. <laughs> I can't remember how I went through that year, but unfortunately, things just got worse as time went by. And um, I, another thing, I didn't pay too much attention to myself. Like, I didn't question, I'm like, why, why you are not resting? Why can't you sleep? Why can't you? I, I was trying to fix and manage everybody else mm-hmm. and make sure to keep the peace as much as possible at home and, and do your best at work and excel. And I just was going through by myself. Unfortunately, there was a um, this conception um, coming from Romania. My ex was saying that going to a therapist, it's a sign of weakness. And actually, mm. I can hurt you with that because I can tell you in the court that, you know, you're not mentally stable because you're going to therapy. Yeah. So I was so afraid to even talk to my primary care physician about it. Looking back, of course, I wish I did things different. However... I think I had to go through all that in order to become the person I am today. And it's a long process, uh, Rebecca. We can't, it's not like you just, it's a light switch where you turn the light on and everything is gone or off. And now that you've moved out and moved on, no, the the healing process is long. And um, I'm still learning about myself. Actually, I discovered something um, interesting, the Enneagram types. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with The Enneagram? Uh-huh. Yes, yes. And that's something I have been, I've been reading into a little bit more, especially over mm-hmm. the summer. I have my type and, and now I understand why I didn't do things or why I did things the way I did. So mm-hmm. that's another thing. Um, we are a work in progress. We're still learning. We're still discovering ourselves, uh, even after the, the, the process is over. Mm-hmm. So I have so many questions. And I want first I want to say that I'm so grateful to you for sharing that that story with the vulnerability. We talked a little before this because I I never want to ask people to talk about things they're not ready to talk about and just re-traumatize you about it. But you've done your work over these past six years, I think you said. And you're at a point now where you really want to help. You want to tell your story because you want to help other women. And I picked up on the theme of shame. And I wanted to bring that back out again. The the kind of difference between shame and guilt being that guilt is when you do something that went against your own values and is something you need to fix or make right. And then shame is when you feel like you've done something wrong because there's something inherently wrong with you. There's something broken about you and shame keeps us quiet. Shame keeps us from talking about those things. And for us as women, and I know your experience is different in many ways because you were raised in Romania, you were in a you know kind of different cultural environment, but there are a lot of similarities. We have cultural roles we're expected to, to fill. 
And many of us, if we feel that um, we're not filling those roles appropriately, we feel shame about it. And so then we just try to hustle even more to, to get people to believe that we're filling the role well, instead of talking about how it's difficult for us or how, you know, it doesn't serve us well. And we also talked a little before the show about how medical training, we get into medical school because we followed the rules and then you get through medical school because you follow the rules and then you go into residency and you follow the rules. So we are all really good at following rules and we're really good at feeling shame if in some way we feel that we're not living up. And then that just starts this vicious cycle of being separated and not connected to others which is really what we want as human beings. And so I'm so grateful for, to you for telling that story because just statistically, there are women who are going to listen to this who have been through something similar or maybe are going through something similar right now. To them, what would you say, knowing what you know now, what would you say to a woman that's in the situation you were in 10 years ago? Thank you, Rebecca. So the first thing I would say, I would... <laughs> send out a big virtual hug, uh, to be kind to yourselves, listen to your inner voice. There is nothing wrong with you. You are not broken. You are worthy. You are enough. And from there to really reach out, if, if they feel comfortable with their close circle or friends or family or even therapists. We have the coaching uh, programs. They are amazing. You can do one-on-one -on -one coaching with amazing position where you can work or regardless of profession, you can work through some of these things because many times we are just in our heads and we cannot get out. I think that was my biggest, again, but it's coming from, from it's an innate feeling and then, you know, or thought, but I'm ashamed. I'm not worthy. I, I can't. How are you kidding me? I'm not even a good doctor. I'm not even a good spouse. I'm not a good mom. I'm a failure. And that's my biggest advice. Reach out. Do not go through this alone because you are not alone. But as you mentioned, we tend to isolate ourselves. Like I have interrupted this or, you know, friendships, which were way older than my marriage with my ex-husband because he was not, he wouldn't want, let me talk or, or keep up with those because it was time away from mm -hmm. him or the family but it was it may have been like a lifeline for me just to not necessarily to share everything but just knowing that there is support out there for you mm -hmm. do not let that happen so that's the biggest encouragement i can i can tell these um mm -hmm. females or whoever's going through this that do not stay alone that i think that was my biggest mistake you know hindsight is 2020 mm -hmm. but that's my biggest lesson i learned from it because mm -hmm. i isolated myself more and more and more. And even after I had to pack up and move out <laughs> with my children, um, I felt even more shame that I'm bigger failure because now you did this and look what you, you know, you weren't even able to keep up <laughs> your marriage, which now I know it wasn't me. And it's not, it wasn't healthy for me as a person or my children. And I had to do something. So absolutely don't go through it alone. So there are so many physician communities that, that a doctor could reach out to a woman who's exploring reaching out for help or just reaching out for support. So like you said, there's anything from Facebook groups where you can privately have discussions to 
coaching programs, therapy programs. There's the National Physician Support Line that is staffed by volunteer psychiatrists to help physicians. And I'll put links um, to some of that here in the show notes for this episode, because I think just knowing that you can get support and if you need to start in an anonymous way with people that don't know you, absolutely, just do it. There's a magical quality to just sharing what you're feeling ashamed about. It just dissipates it. It starts to dissipate. It doesn't make it go away forever. Always. It could come back. You just keep talking. You keep sharing and then you start to get to support other people too. Once, once you start doing your work and, and that, that starts to undo that cycle of shame and help us to understand that where we all have these imposter syndrome thoughts. And unfortunately, many women physicians experience abusive relationships or they experience abusive work environments and they don't feel empowered because they feel shame. So I just, again, I'm so grateful to you for talking about this. What do American-born physicians not know about what it's like to be a foreign medical graduate? What do you wish we knew? (laughs) Oh, that's a tough question. My personal experience was great. In training, we were from all different places, actually different countries as well. So I felt included. I felt at home. And then maybe there were some locations which were more american uh, trained physicians or attendings and whatnot, but where you they would be very curious about what is it like. And usually physicians are really nice and really open and they, they are curious about us. I always appreciate the ones who are very open and asking questions and just, oh, tell us about your background a little bit. So I always come from a place of, you know, I'm glad that I'm accepted. I feel included. Mm-hmm. I feel home. This is my new home. And as long as I feel that I'm good and I'm open to share all kinds of interesting facts and I'm from Transylvania and everybody's like, oh, Dracula. And then, you know, we have something <laughs> to discuss about. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a bummer. It's not real, but oh, well. And then <laughs> and then we have an inside joke going at work because I do uh, cervical spine injections where, um, you know, patients live with a couple of band-aids or two or three band-aids on the side of their neck. <laughs> yes. And then, you know, they were like, oh, one patient was like, oh, so I got my vampire sticks. And I'm like, what do you mean? Aren't you for Transylvania? I'm like, yeah. So it's an inside joke. I love that. <laughs> so, yeah, but I always have to reassure everybody, I know I'm not a vampire. <laughs> Last year, actually, I got followed when pandemic hit. And I started a new position in June last year with with this orthopedic group I'm working with and it has been an amazing experience mm-hmm. I have been I can't even tell like my colleagues and now partners they are just amazing to how they embrace me and hey we need you to succeed how can we help you it was just it has been a great experience so I'm just so so thankful for that that's why I'm saying I think I definitely feel like I'm home <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah. oh I feel like happy in my heart here in that I love hearing about medical practices where people really support each other. We forget that we're human beings and that's what we, that's what we need is belonging and significance and to have, to have real support and care in your medical practice. Just, it helps us be better doctors. It helps us have more capacity to care for patients well. And I'm just, I'm so glad to hear that. Could you tell us what what is something that you've done for yourself recently to help your own flourishing? What are you doing that just makes you feel good and feeds you? I have been listening to lots of podcasts, um, mm-hmm. you know, my drive and all this stuff. And I mentioned yours. I love it, love it, love it. 
I'm reading as much as I can for personal development. And then something mm-hmm. which is very important, and I try to do it at least once a week to have some me time. Most of you know, weekends, I wake up earlier than my children and just to sit down and think. It has helped me tremendously. And I'm trying to incorporate a little bit more, even during the week when it's like, I feel like things are closing in, you know, it's just a lot mm-hmm. going on and trying to, it's good to pause and take a break. Mm-hmm. And another thing, what I learned and I'm learning and training my brain, it's okay to pause because many yeah. times we feel like, man, I can't, I can't do this in two more days of the week and you have to run, 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 do this and that, but I can't. It's okay to pause. It's okay to to take a break. It's okay, even if it's just thirty minutes. Like at times, it happens um, during the week when lunchtime. I just actually don't finish notes. I just go outside and walk. And sometimes mm-hmm. I listen to a podcast or I just clear my head. So mm-hmm. that has been very, very helpful for me. Tremendously helpful mm-hmm. to to just take a pause, take a break, and then think. Mm-hmm. I think those of us who have been through burnout. And through really difficult times in our practices that we've had to find our way through, we know how important that is and to continue it. Even when we're happy and we feel like, oh, I can just keep working through my lunch break. There's something that that time does to improve us in the other times too. So I'm like you, I do as much as I can. Occasionally I'll have a meeting at lunch, but During my lunch hour, I like to just disconnect from the clinical stuff and listen to a podcast, go outside if it's sunny and not, it's been in the nineties with 80% humidity around here. So that's not really my, (laughs) not really my deal, but yes, just, just sitting and being still. So, um, I'm going to make sure that I include links to your social media in the show notes and also to the Warrior Women Project book. Tell us, you know, you've already talked about books and podcasts. So if there's something, there may be something else, but something you've listened to or watched like TV or movie or something you've read lately that you would recommend to our audience. Yes, definitely. So I have been diving, diving into the Enneagram and this, I, I mm-hmm. think to me, it made a huge difference. The Road Back to You by mm-hmm. Ian Morgan Crone. He also has a podcast. Okay. Um, but it's I didn't know we had a podcast. Yes, uh, it's the Enneagram podcast. I think is uh-huh. and um, definitely recommend uh, anybody who is interested. It's a great way to learn about yourself. Of course, I know my type. I'm number nine. I'm the peacemaker, so now I understand why <laughs> I stayed where I stayed for so long, and I have such a hard time changing things. However, it's okay. And uh, but definitely, this is the one I have been um, I have been working on over the summer. I tend to slow down a little bit since the children are out of school and tend to sleep a little longer in the mornings. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's a, that's a good way of taking care of yourself too. <laughs> yes, yes. I'll put a link to that book in the show notes as well. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for your vulnerability, your honesty, your willing to be willingness to be present. We will probably help a lot more people with this conversation than we either of us ever know. So Thank you so much. I've enjoyed talking with you and hopefully we'll get to meet in person in real life one day. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. Mm. Thank you for your message. Thank you for this space, for this podcast. It's amazing. I definitely recommend it um, to anybody to listen, physicians and non-physicians. It's, it's amazing. Your research and everything, you know, the facts you are putting in, 
is just mind blowing. And as I mentioned before our recording, you know, I many times I become tearful because I see myself, I hear myself when I was going through mine, um, trials and tribulations, I recognize myself and I'm like, Oh, but now I'm healing. And that's all that matters. Yeah, You are. And I, Thank you for that feedback. That makes me feel good. That's what this is all about. Absolutely. And I'm sharing as well. Oh, thank (laughs) you. Thank you. Okay. So thank you and goodbye for now, but hopefully we will see each other and maybe record another podcast episode sometime. That would be great. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you again so much for listening. Wasn't that a great conversation? Don't you just love her? Um, Check out the Warrior Women book and her chapter as well as all the other wonderful immigrant women who wrote chapters in that book it's an amazing group of people who have lived incredible lives and are so inspirational so encourage you to get that book the link will be in the show notes i want to encourage you this week to think about how you can incorporate asking into your life Think about the things that you want, the dreams that you have, and how you can invite other people into them with you. If this podcast has been valuable to you, it would mean so much if you would subscribe, uh, leave a rating. It makes a huge difference in how many people I can reach and my ability to continue doing this. So please rate and subscribe. And share, share with anyone you think might get value from this. As always, much love. See you next week.